Welcome to Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Minter, Director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me today is Michael Langemeyer, Professor of Ag Economics here at Purdue. We're going to review the results from the February Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Survey of farmers from across the nation. Each month, we survey 400 farmers across the U.S. to learn more about their perspectives on the ag economy. This month's Ag Barometer Survey was conducted from the 14th through the 18th of February, just days prior to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So, Michael, people became a little bit more optimistic uh, in, in February. The Ag Economy Barometer, I think, rose six points. Uh, in January, it was at 119. We got back to 125 in February. That exactly matched what we had back in December. So, in a way, we're just kind of bouncing around a little bit. Um, if you look under the hood a little, it's pretty clear that all of the improvement came out of the index of future expectations. People became a little more optimistic about the future. That index of future expectations went from 112 to 122. The index of current conditions really didn't change at all. It went from 133 to 132, so no, no significant movement there. What do you think? Uh, what, why did people become more optimistic about the future in February compared to January? Any ideas? Well, certainly one of the things that's been happening here when you look at January versus February is we've seen some strength in prices, particularly soybeans. And that's not only short term, it's also uh, looking ahead, you know, going into the fall of 22, uh, we saw some some improvement in, in prices. And so I, I think that has to be one of the things uh, that's contributing to that increase in index of future expectations. I'm surprised you didn't mention wheat prices. Wheat prices have really strengthened. Uh, and we don't have a huge percentage of people in the survey age month that are wheat growers, but it's enough to make a difference. And uh, uh, yeah, what's taking place there, of course, has been exacerbated since we did our survey with the invasion this week, uh, or last week, actually, with respect to uh, Ukraine. So uh, a lot to think about there. But I think people are starting to think maybe a little bit about the, the commodity price situation. I tend to agree with you there. However, you know, when we asked them what their biggest concern was for their farming operation in the upcoming year, once again this month, higher input costs came in number one. That's what they're most worried about. 47% of the people in the survey chose a higher input cost as their number one concern uh, for their farming operation. Um, you know, second place was lower output prices. So people, I think, maybe are aware of the elevated output prices we're looking at and, and some risk of downside uh, movement there. Um, environmental policy came in third. Farm, farm policy was at 9%. Climate policy was about the same, 8%. COVID's impact was 7%. So probably the three things people were most worried about, higher input cost, lower output prices, and environmental policy. I find it kind of interesting that environmental policy came in almost as high as lower output prices. That is that is somewhat surprising because there certainly is some downside risk uh, when you look at prices going into the fall, going into the summer and going into the fall, depending on whether you're looking at wheat or corn and soybeans. And so that was a little surprising. It just tells us how concerned they really are uh, with environmental regulations and environmental policy. And I think what we're seeing, which we saw a few years ago, is this elevated concern about waters of the U.S. I think uh, maybe in a future survey we'll ask some more specific questions about that. But 
that certainly seems to be the environmental policy that's getting the most news in the ag sector here recently, and I suspect we're picking some of that up. And I think one of the things before we before we leave that leave that uh, uh, biggest concern chart, I think one of the things that I think is very evident, if if we wouldn't have saw this concern with higher input costs, uh, we have to ask ourselves, what would the ag economy barometer index look like? And it would certainly be much much more positive. Uh, and the reason I mention that is the net return projections. Looking for this fall are pretty solid. I mean, there's a wide band around those expectations, obviously, because there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, but they're they're pretty solid, and so and so it just gives you a kind of a perspective on how big an impact these higher input costs have really had on sediment. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, if you go back a year, uh, the barometer was sitting at 165, so we're 40 points below where we were this time last year, and. You know, if you think about the comparison of what we thought 21 was going to be this time last year versus what we think 22 is going to shape up to be now, uh, maybe not that much different, but we've got a 40-point swing there in terms of what people are thinking. And this, I think, speaks to this idea of the uncertainty has really crept into people's minds and created a level of anxiety that isn't necessarily reflected on their income statement or their balance sheet. Um, The Farm Financial Performance Index came in unchanged from last month. That's a reading of 83. But again, I need to point out that that is sharply lower than it was in December. And and part of that's because when we flip the calendar into the new year, we start making a, a different comparison. So back in December, when the reading was 113, the way the question was phrased was people were looking at their returns in 2021 versus 2020. We move over to January, and all of a sudden, the comparison is now expectations for 2022 versus 2021. And I think two months in a row, what people are telling us is they don't think 2022 is going to be anywhere near as good as 2021. And you might comment on that a little bit because you've done those projections uh, for a kind of a simulated corn and soybean farm here in Indiana. Yeah, I, this is the, this is the problem with just looking at you know a, a pairwise comparison of years. Uh, if we would compare, I think twenty two to twenty, I think it would compare very favorably. But twenty one was just an extremely good year, and I think that's what we're picking up here. Uh, you know, they realized, particularly crop producers, that twenty one was one of those years uh, that's probably the best in the last thirty years, or, or certainly ranks as one of the best years in the last 30 years or so. And so I think that's what we're picking up with this, uh, just a realization that 21 was so good that they don't think 22 is going to be quite that good. Now, given that it's it's fluctuating somewhat day by day, but you've been updating your projections for a kind of a typical 3,000-acre corn-soybean operation here in Indiana. What's your current projection for 22 compared to 21? Where are you at today? The the, the returns, the net return to, to land for for 22 is is down quite a bit. It's it's down at least a hundred dollars, uh, but but again, it, it's pretty strong compared to 2020. And if you look at that downward movement from compared to last year, how does that compare, for example, to the last 10 years? The 2022 looks very solid. Um, you know, it, I, it, it's probably the best best we've seen uh, outside of 21 since 2013. Yeah, so that kind of <laughs> I think that helps put it in perspective because so from that standpoint, 
We're looking at a year that for many people should be a pretty good income year, yet they kind of have this negative perspective about it, uh, which we're picking up in multiple yeah. ways. If you, if you think about the uncertainty, there's uncertainty related to policy, there's uncertainty related to uh, output prices, and there's uncertainty related to input costs. And so we have a lot, that's a lot of uncertainties. And so I think that's compounding the, the pessimism or relative pessimism, I should say. They're not pessimistic, but relative, relatively pessimistic compared to last year. Yeah, and, and we normally trying not to forecast what the barometer is going to say next month, but I have to say it's going to be very interesting to see how people are going to react to the gyrations we've seen since the invasion. Um, that's created a whole new level of uncertainty. Um, so the Farm Capital Investment Index came in weaker again this month. 42 was the reading. That's down seven points compared to last month. If you compare the index here in February 2022 to where it was a year ago, it's kind of shocking. A year ago, that index was at 88, which was, I think, the second highest reading we'd ever gotten on the uh, Farm Capital Investment Index. And now we're at, in round numbers at roughly half that level. Um, over 40% of the producers in this month's survey said their purchase plans are being impacted by low machinery inventories. I think the number, actual number was maybe 43% said that. I think we got that same reading two months in a row. So I think we're continuing to pick up supply chain issues here with respect to, I think a lot of people would be willing to make investments if they thought they could do it. Um, in some cases, it's availability. In some cases, it might be pricing issues. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And I think there will be more optimism uh, if 22 turns out to be the way we are currently projecting it to be. I think there'll be some uh, be increased demand in, in, in buying some machinery, replace some of that machinery that we haven't been able to replace since 2013. Yeah, I don't think demand's been the problem. I think yeah. it's really been yeah, on the supply side. Yeah, it's a supply issue. Yeah. And again, the disruption in trade related to what's going on in Ukraine is probably going to exacerbate that to the magnitude we don't know yet, but it's certainly not going to help uh, because it's another trade disruption. Um, so we've been asking people whether or not they are having trouble procuring inputs to put the 22 crop in the ground. And 30% of the crop producers in February said they had some difficulty purchasing crop inputs for the 22 season. Um, that is a little lower than the percentage we got back in December. I think we've been at that 30% now two months in a row, but back in December it was 39%. So I guess the good news is fewer people are telling us they're having trouble now than they were back in December. But that's still, I think by any historical standard, unprecedented that 30% of the producers would tell us that they're having some difficulty with at least one or more inputs. And then we've been asking the follow-up question, which is, you know, which inputs are you having trouble with? And we give them some choices, and the choices we gave them were herbicides, insecticides, fertilizer, and farm machinery parts. And number one came in at, at herbicides. 37% of the people that were having trouble said it was about herbicides, and that's, uh, I think that's consistent with what we've been hearing from producers, and I know our weed science uh, weed scientists here at, at Purdue have been talking about this as well. Uh, that continues to be the number one. But the other takeaway is there's a sizable percentage of people in each one of those buckets. I think it was 15% on insecticides, 25% on fertilizer, 23% farm machinery parts. Herbicides, again, was number one at 37, but... Uh, 
I don't know. I think this speaks to the level of uncertainty out there, right? That's certainly the case. And, and, and as you indicated, when we go out and give presentations, we, we hear this, this issue related to herbicides come up quite a bit. And it's related to not being able to, to use the exact same herbicides that you used last year. That's the way that's usually framed. And so you, uh, like, like our agronomist friends say, you need a plan B, plan C. Uh, you know, change, change how you think about pre versus post emergence herbicides because there is some herbicides that are either very, very expensive compared to what they uh, were a year ago or just not available. Uh, and the availability is not very good compared to a year ago. And so I think that's very consistent with what we've been hearing. Yeah, there's supply issues on a variety of products. The one you hear the most about is glyphosate. But there are other products that are in short supply as well. And so, uh, yeah, what, what the weed science folks have been telling people, uh, you and I both, I think, have done some meetings with some weed science faculty uh, don't rely on post programs to the extent that you maybe have in the past because you could get caught and not be able to get the product that you need. Uh, so that's clearly a challenge. The other thing we've been talking to people about a little bit is, you know, with this rapid uh, run up in fertilizer values, what are people planning to do? And the easy one to ask people about is nitrogen. So we focused on corn producers. So people that planted corn in 21 and planned to plant corn in 22 got this question. Um, compared to the nitrogen rate you applied in 21, what are your plans for 22? And this month, one-third, 33% of the people in that category said that they plan to reduce their nitrogen rate. That's maybe not too much different than last month. Last month it was 37%. That's not a big swing. But um, it does tell us that there's a significant number of people that have been looking at trying to identify their optimal rate and maybe making some adjustments. Um, I think part of what's going on here is it really depended on when you bought your nitrogen. If you bought your nitrogen last fall and put some of your nitrogen on last fall, you were certainly looking at a much different nitrogen price and certainly a different ratio of nitrogen compared to corn. And so certainly when you look at people that are going to apply most of their nitrogen or all of their nitrogen in the spring and then maybe uh, in the summer, uh, I, I think that those are the people I think are going to focus on the reduced rate because they're looking at much, much higher nitrogen prices than those that bought the nitrogen last fall. Yeah, that's a good point. I think people that put nitrogen on last fall probably used the typical rate. Yeah, they probably used the same. Yeah. And to some extent, people that had it locked in, although I haven't talked to very many people that were able to lock in all of their nitrogen, um, they typically were able to lock in a percentage. But I think you've got a good point there. There's a lot of disparity here in terms of what people paid for nitrogen, which really says people are going to have different cost of production, right? Um, there was a rebound in optimism about farmland values. The long-term farmland value expectation index, I think, rose nine points to a reading of 154. That's up from 145 last month. If you look at it from a longer-term perspective, it's, that's down from where it was last fall. Last fall, it peaked at 161, so people are not quite as optimistic about farmland values going forward as they were last fall. But if you look at the, the index values here for roughly, what, the last year, year and a half, um, they've been pretty strong, pretty consistently in that 150s range. Uh, so people are relatively optimistic about farmland values They've come off the peak from last fall. I think part of that could be a reflection of how much farmland has already gone up in value. But I think the resurgence this month maybe could be a reflection of the strength we saw in commodity prices over the last, uh, well, since the first of the year. I think that's probably definitely the case. Yeah, people are just 
looking at commodity prices and saying, you know, the people are going to do that. The other thing, uh, people, I think, are starting to talk more about the inflationary pressure. And, of course, that feeds into some non-farm investor interest. And I think that's probably a key point as well. Um, every winter, we ask a question about growth rates. And we, the way we phrase it is, uh, we ask people, what is a reasonable annual growth rate expectation you have for your farm over the next five years? And we've been asking this question now going back to 2016. And Michael, I find the comparison across time to this question quite interesting. Um, if you look at this year's response to this question versus 2016, there's been a change. Um, the no plans to grow category and the plans to exit or retire category, if you combine those two, and I, I'm inclined to combine those two categories, partly because I think folks that have no plans to grow are, are, are at least drifting towards retirement. We don't, maybe not in the next five years, but they're drifting that way. Um, if you take those two categories and add them together, in 2016, that comprised 33% of the people in the survey. This year, take those two categories and add them together, and that comprised 53% of the people in the survey. I was a little surprised at that. How about you? I, yes, I was too. Because uh, usually when you see a resurgence in prices, people are, have a tendency to think, well, I'm going to hang on a little bit longer because uh, I want to I I uh, make sure I'm, a, I'm around when we, when we go through these good years. And so from that perspective, it's a little surprising that over 50% uh, say either had no plans to grow or plan to exit or retire. Uh, that, that's a little surprising. The no plans to grow category was the one that really uh, increased there. It went, again, I'm comparing to 2016. 32% in 2016 versus 39% this year. And I, I look at that category, and, and, and on one side, I think that that's a group of people that's maybe drifting towards retirement. The other thing I think about with them is they're looking at what's happened with respect to farmland values and thinking, I'm not going to be able to purchase farmland at these kind of prices. Or they're looking perhaps at cash rental rates and, and thinking that they're going to have trouble competing uh, to expand over time. Um, in other words, I kind of think the run-up in cost or, or in asset values, really, is maybe influencing their thinking. Do you, do you agree with that? That sounds reasonable. I hadn't really thought of it quite like that, but that 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 sounds reasonable that that would that would be entering in, into their mind, particularly buying farmland. I mean, the large increases we've seen it's it's it might be prohibitive for a lot of these people to to think about purchasing farmland. Um, the other category that's that's I think kind of interesting is the group that I would categorize as um, previously maybe had a realistic but fairly aggressive perspective on growth. And that was people in the 5 to 10% category. They, if you, and the reason I say that is if you expand, for example, at 10%, that implies that you're going to double the size of your farming operation in about seven years. So that's pretty aggressive. 5% growth, that implies that you would double in about 14 years. That's not quite so aggressive, but still. Um, and again, if you compare 2016 to this year, in 2016, 29% of the people in the survey thought their farm would grow in this pretty aggressive category of 5 to 10%. This year, that was down to 19%. What do you make of that? <laughs> I think it's consistent with what you were talking about earlier, the increase in land values and, and perhaps a rather large increases in cash rent, at least in certain areas, uh, make it very difficult to grow. So I guess one way to think of that is avenues to growth are maybe a little narrower. 
than they were previously. Certainly, that maybe that seems to be the perspective. Um, well, very interesting, and I, I like the fact that we ask this question every year because it, it gives us this opportunity to make these longer-term comparisons. And, and one of the things that's really interesting about these results is is when we set up this survey, we're, we're trying to focus on, on full-time producers. And so it's not like we're focusing on some of these semi-retired or, or part-time producers. And so I think that's very important to, to keep in mind who is our who is our sample. Uh, and the fact that 53% of full-time producers uh, that we're trying to survey here are, are have no plans or, or plan to reduce size is, is, is intriguing. Yeah. Well, and I, I, the other thing that we didn't talk about is it probably feeds into this idea of where the technology is going and perhaps what size category you need to be at to take advantage of modern technology. Um, and that's putting some of those folks in a bit of a squeeze, I think. And, you know, looking ahead, they're kind of wondering, will I be competitive? Maybe not today, but looking down the road four or five years from now. So... So uh, one other question we asked that we just had never done before, but there's been a lot of discussion about Internet access and broadband access and quality of broadband. And particularly over the last year or so, there's been several legislative proposals at the national level and, and various state proposals around the nation uh, targeting some way of improving broadband access in rural areas. So on this survey, we asked, how would you describe your farm's internet access, just to get a handle on how, what people thought of their own internet access? And we didn't know what to expect here. I didn't know what kind of response we would get to this, uh, so that's one reason for asking the question. 30% um, of the people in the survey said they've got high-quality internet access. 41% um, said they had moderate quality Poor quality was 16%, and then this was the part of the survey that I didn't, I didn't have any preconceived notion, but I guess uh, I found this number a little surprising despite that. 12% of the people in the survey said they don't have Internet access at all. Um, that could be a function of who answered the phone, right? Someone else on that farm might have Internet access, perhaps. We don't know that, but certainly the person that was responding to the survey that day uh, didn't directly have Internet access. Um, again, if you take the poor quality percentage and add that up to the uh, group that says they don't have access, that's 28%. That's almost 3 out of 10 that I guess I would argue probably don't really have good access to modern technology in terms of all the precision ag stuff that we talk about, right? Yeah, this is very disconcerting because that this this new technology that we've been talking about is going to need at least moderate and probably high quality internet access to really work. Uh, you know, the, some of the autonomous vehicles and autonomous wagons and some of that kind of kind of stuff, drones, all of that stuff is is you really need high speed, high quality internet. And so this these results are a bit disconcerting. Yeah, and I guess I have to stress that we allowed people to determine on their own what, what their own definition of high quality is, what their own definition of moderate quality. So we didn't get into Internet speeds. This wasn't the, the type of survey you could really do that. Um, but I kind of agree with you. Uh, if you really want to take advantage of the technology that's available and certainly the technology that's coming online over the next several years, you probably need a high-quality Internet access. And... Uh, so I think it does speak to the fact that it's, it clearly is an issue. Um, maybe it's not as bad out there as it was a few years ago, but it's still uh, problematic for a lot of folks in terms of their ability to access uh, the Internet at the speed they need to, to 
to use it the way they'd like to with precision ag technology in particular. Well, Michael, that wraps up our discussion today. For more details, uh, you can visit our website, which is purdue.edu slash agbarometer, and you can also access it directly from the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture's website. The next Ag Economy Barometer will be released on Tuesday, April 5th, um, and you can get more information and, and you know, just get an email notice with respect to when the barometer is released by going to our website and, and uh, registering there, and you'll get an email that lets you know when the new report comes out. So I encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And on behalf of Michael Langemeyer and the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Minter. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.